Leader Spotlight. If it's your first time listening, in this podcast series, we speak with key players who are sharing their experiences and insights on the current sales landscape. My name's Paige, and here today with our host, Joseph Fung, is Gary Swart, former CEO of Odesk, and now partner at Polaris Partners, investing in technology companies. In this episode, they will discuss sales as a service, leveraging AI automation to scale, and the future of work. Let's jump in. So Gary, tell us, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your history, what you're up to, who, who is Gary Sword? Oh my gosh. Well, I don't know uh, where to start, but it goes way, way back to uh, when I was, I'm a recovering sales leader. Uh, so I ran sales, uh, started as a sales rep. Um, actually, now I think they call it a BDR, then a sales rep, an AE. Uh, then I ended up managing sales and leading sales for a company called Pure Software. Uh, Pure was Reed Hastings' first company. So Reed, now the CEO of Netflix, in his prior life, he was a geek and had a software development tools company. That company ultimately became part of IBM. So I went from employee number 30 to employee number 131,000 at Big Blue. Uh, I realized I wasn't a big company guy, so I ended up back um, back in the jungle. I like to say jungle, dirt road, highway. I ended up back in the jungle at a little company called IntelliBank. Uh, that was Dropbox done wrong. And then from there, I ended up running a company called Odesk. And Odesk was the world's largest online workplace, a marketplace for talent. That now uh, merged with the number two player in the space company called Elance, and that, that's called Upwork. So after that, I actually jumped to the other side of the table, as uh, some people would say, and joined Polaris Partners as an investor. Uh, so I'm in the venture capital business now. We manage uh, about $4.5 billion. Firm's been around for 20 years, and I'm a general partner here in San Francisco. I mean, you've got this fantastic history from being an individual kind of bag carrying rep to the CEO of a company. And- in particular, at, at Odesk, you have this unique perspective about you know the future of work and what the workplace means. Um, you know, I'd love to hear your thoughts on just where you think that future of work is heading. Uh, one uh, high-level summary is I think it starts with uh, work augmentation. So it's making workers more productive. In sales specifically, it's about frequency and competency. We can talk more about that in a little bit. But how do you augment a worker so they get more done and how, so companies can get more done for less? And there's a lot of studies that show that significantly fewer workers are producing far more GDP today than 40 years ago. Uh, So that's about augmentation. Now, in addition to that, it's about atomization. It's breaking work into smaller chunks, smaller bite-sized pieces, people doing more and more specialized work. And then ultimately, it's about automation. So how do you take existing workers, make them more productive, and ultimately, for some jobs, replacing them with technology, uh, resulting in more automation? I love how you said it. there's a lot of a lot of thoughts, a lot of opinions out there about the future of work, and and I think there's a lot of uh, people who have, have talked about and blogged about how that impacts uh, more routine roles or clerical roles. We don't always think about how that's going to disrupt sales, though. And, and you alluded to a couple of points in there, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you think those trends are going to impact sales specifically. Well, to your point, Joseph, there's a there's sort of a continuum of level of work, right? So how easily it can that work be automated? And for very um, small, uh, repetitive, um, highly transactional tasks, I think it's a lot easier to automate those, right? And so we can see this in, in work that's already been disrupted, where a human used to turn 
uh, handles on a machine. Now the automated machine can do that. And we're seeing that come about in things like driving. And so I think the more um, transactional the task, the likely it is to be uh, repeated. But in sales, it's, it's traditionally has been very face-to-face or voice-to-voice, if, if nothing else. But I think we're seeing more and more automation of both the frequency. Uh, what are the things that can help me to make more dials, reach more customers? Things like automatic dialers. Where I used to have to dial the phone and leave a voicemail. Now a machine can dial the phone and automatically select a voicemail based on the type of call. That's one example of making more dials in a day. And then the competency piece, what do you say and do once you're on the phone with a customer? Do you have the information you need at your fingertips or do you have to go find it? Things that can help with the competency, helping the the rep say and do the right things once they actually reach the customer. Uh, Ariel Polaris has invested in a number of sales technology companies and marketing technology companies. We would love to hear your thoughts on any specific companies or technologies that you find particularly exciting right now. Well, we invested in a company called Inside Sales, and it's, uh, you know, some people say, well, that's just an automated dialer. It's just an automated dialer with a massive data set on the back end. And that data set gives incredible insights and actionable insights based on who to call, when to call, uh, why to call that you could normally get. So in other words, I know to call in Denver when it's uh, raining or snowing because you're likely to get somebody in the office or don't call in this city after their sports team loses because you're not going to get anybody on the phone. And even if you do, they're not going to be in a good mood. So it's this data that never existed before. I was an advisor to a company called Outreach. And I think they're interesting in that they're helping uh, with the frequency, but also the competency, taking best practices and repeatable use cases and giving you the ability to replicate those from your best reps to your worst reps. I invested and advised a company called Talk IQ. At the first very basic level, they've automated note-taking for sales reps. So this is really interesting because a lot of data doesn't get into Salesforce. Well, now it automatically gets entered into Salesforce almost in real time. Now that data is searchable, indexable, and you can look for, you know, marketing can see who's on message, who's not on message, product can see who is featuring the new products and who isn't. And sales management can see, you know, why is Joseph closing more deals than Gary? Oh, it's because he's asking for the order and Gary is not. Mm-hmm. So it's this wisdom that you never had before. And then that results in real-time coaching. So you're on the phone with a customer, you compete with HP, customer mentions HP, and up on your desk in real time pops a little dialogue box that says, here's how we win against HP. So any kind of applications that put the data at the hands of the person when they need it. Things like Kite, for example, are really interesting along these lines, you know, rather than me having to hang up with a customer or search far and wide or bother the same people for information, can that information be right at my fingertips, helping with the frequency, more dials, more successful calls with customers, and the competency helping me find the information I need when I need it fast. And then a data set at scale. It's like act one is the actual tool to facilitate the work. Mm-hmm. But act two is this massive data set that doesn't exist without tools like Kite, without tools like Talk IQ. So I think those are interesting products to us. It's data at scale. You first started off with the, the two realities, frequency and competence. And then you gave a couple of really interesting examples where the functionality started off with what appeared to be a frequency offering, uh, but the real you know offering underneath the hood was driving towards competence and and improving individual performance. 
Um, is it fair to say that you think that the real winning strategy is balancing the two of them, or, or is it more representative of the, the few companies you happen to mention there? No, I think it's balancing. I think the real winners are the ones that are going to create this. The, the moat in this kind of business is, in fact, the data set. It's the data that didn't exist before. Mm. That becomes the barrier to entry to other businesses. So it's sort of like act one is the tool that's going to help a rep or a sales team to do their jobs more effectively. And the good news is that customers, there's a nice SaaS business model there. So the customer pays you for the right to use that tool, which gives you the right to then get all of this valuable data, which becomes valuable to the whole ecosystem. So it's a little bit of a Trojan horse with a data element at scale. And that's, uh, that's really what inside sales is. People pay to use the dialer, but now they have this massive data set. And each customer's data benefits everybody in the ecosystem. Um, there's an age-old question about how much of confidence is driven by the tools someone has versus the mentorship or the management that they have. Uh, and definitely the role and, and the dynamic between employee and manager has changed over time. So I used to manage very large telesales teams, a couple hundred reps, right? With very large quotas. We were selling north of a million dollars a year for an inside sales rep. So we we were, uh, this was at Rational Software, and we, we had a highly efficient and effective sales team. And I remember when managers actually used to sit on the phone and coach reps. It doesn't happen anymore. It just, nobody has the time. Should they do it? Yes. Do the reps need it? Absolutely. But nobody does it. And so why, right? If you look at what you should be prioritizing as a manager, but it's hard, it's intimidating for the rep. And gone are the days where you're even getting customers on the phone all the time, mm -hmm. right? So it's not even like management has the information about who the, uh, who the actual decision maker is. Yes, they have something in Salesforce, but may, that may not be the person that they're dealing with at the account, right? Mm -hmm. Why? Because the rep never even put that information in. So I think it's just so hard Nowadays, I walked into a sales environment um, not too long ago, and, and nobody was actually on the phone. And everybody's typing on their keyboard. I walked by a couple. Some people are on social media. And I said to the, the VP, I said, you know, does anybody actually work, right? It used to be you walk into a call center, people were on the phone. And he said, trust me, they're working, right? It's, it's they're researching clients. They're emailing their this is part of the activity. And so the world has changed from where I grew up now to this more tool enabled. But at the end of the day, there's, I think most of the technology is focused on frequency and not competency. Mm -hmm. And the competency piece, I think, is really, really important. Why? Well, it's so hard to hire good reps nowadays. It can take three, six, nine, 12 months before you know whether or not they're any good. And so you need a better way to figure out, is somebody on track? Are they coming up to speed? Are they doing what they're supposed to be doing, despite the fact that they're not hitting quota yet? And I think many managers and leaders, if it flip a coin, 50-50 odds whether or not you hire somebody good. And if it takes you nine months to figure out if they're any good, you can't afford that. And it's not the money that you're burning on ineffective sales reps. It's the opportunity cost of not having somebody in the seat that actually can sell. And so I think we'll see a shift to more competency-based technologies, more tools to measure and predict and to, um, to, to give you the tools to figure out whether or not you're on track with somebody or not way in advance. When you hear analysts talk about only 35% of a sales rep's time is spent in front of a customer, um, you know, it, it forces you to ask, are they, are they spending the time researching? Are they worried about calling the customer? Are the current tools and, and 
you know, seas of information, simply a distraction. What do, what do you think are some of the things that we could be coaching sales reps to do to help them increase that number and, and actually spend more time with the customers? Well, I think it depends on where a company is in their in their life cycle. You know, I mentioned earlier, jungle, dirt road, highway. When you're in the jungle, everybody's got a machete in both hands. You're hacking vines. You don't have a repeatable use case yet. You're getting your first customers and there you need all hands on deck. And you need people that are good across the entire sales life cycle. They're good at prospecting, qualifying, disqualifying, not spending time on things that aren't uh, an ideal customer fit for you. Um, you're good at differentiating capability, uh, negotiating, closing. You have to have the full suite of tools. And until you get that repeatable use case, you need people that are really good at the early stage, right? They're very consultative. They're very good at sort of sniffing out those early stage. Think of it as really blazing a trail. People who are good with machetes may not be good in a Jeep or in an Escalade on the highway. And so as the company scales, though, once you have somewhat of a repeatable use case or semblance, then I think it's more tool enabled, more uh, technologies, your process is more baked, your architecture is more baked, meaning the structure of your go-to-market. How many BDRs, how many SDRs, how many AEs, how, you know, what's the ratio of, of BDR to AE? These things are not in place in an earlier stage company. So I think it's more about having the right people and the right tools at the right stage of the, of the company. And as it scales, more, uh, more automation, more process, more architecture to facilitate a high frequency go-to-market. Okay. So, so your comments about tools and process, I think, you know, resonate really well. You know, customers are always out looking for what the right tool is, what the next tool is, uh, and especially in a, a software-as-a-service environment, the lines are blurred between what's purely a tool and what's an outside service. Um, and, and you've seen firsthand how companies can start to take work that was traditionally done inside the wall and actually bring that outside as a service would love to hear your thoughts on on where do you think that line is going to move and where companies have the opportunity to leverage outside services more, especially in their sales function. Well, here's the thing. I think it's just a matter of business model, right? As a, as a sales leader, if you have a problem or a challenge with hitting quota or hiring people or getting work done or something standing in your way of achieving your objective, let's call it quota, you really don't care if it's a service or if it's a technology as long as it, it can be delivered quickly. Like there's, there's a dip to productivity when you implement something new. You want to make sure that the dip is not too deep and that the curve is accelerated above what you were doing prior to taking on this dip in the first place, right? So your time to value. And you don't care if it's a service or if it's a technology as long as the dip is small and the productivity line increases at the end of it. However, the company running that business, they care if it's software enabled or people enabled. Why? Because the margins are better on a software enabled business. So it, as far as the company is concerned, that's the customer of the technology, they don't care if it's hamsterware or brilliant SaaS, as long as it's useful and usable for their users, right? Now, with that said, I think companies want something that reps are actually going to use, right? This whole thing of selling high into a sales organization and deploying the technology to everybody only to have people not use it, that's a problem. So I like to avoid, or I, you know, I look for companies that have this challenge. I say the selling starts the day you close the deal. So you close the deal, now you actually have to sell the usage. And I think better situated are the companies where the reps are dying to use the technology. They get it right away. The time to value is immediate. 
And then those companies start small, deliver value instantly, and then incremental value over time. And these are companies with negative churn. You, you, you've got the chance to see companies that are performing well, companies that are maybe falling behind, uh, but everybody has an opportunity to improve how they're doing right now. Um, so you think about the sales leaders that you, you speak to. If you're going to encourage them to be, be asking kind of one question or looking at one part of their business right now, what would you suggest they be digging into? Well, I think it goes back to what I said earlier about, um, about process, about architecture, and about execution. And when I'm talking to a company uh, trying to decide whether to invest or not, I'll often speak to the sales leader about those three things. And I'll say, hey, which of these things do you like doing the most? And where are you on this continuum? And tell me a little bit about each. And for the, the VP of sales that can't speak to those things, I think what you'll find is very few sales leaders have all of these capabilities. They're very process-oriented, they're architecture-oriented, or they're execution-oriented, and they don't know how to spell process, right? <laughs> and I think the very best organizations are the ones where the sales leader knows their, their shortcomings, mm -hmm. and they've augmented themselves with a, a sales ops person who is process or architecture-oriented. And it's the companies that can articulate their metrics. They know their average sales cycle, their ASP, their you know, average deal size, and they've got a, an idea of these metrics without having to be asked, right? Uh, I think that's that, that's where you know you're, uh, you've got somebody who understands go-to-market. Uh, what about sales reps that you meet right now? You know, if, if you think about a sales rep that's looking to build their career, maybe grow a sales team, what would be some of the things you might suggest they think about right now? You know, I always, I felt like I had to run a little bit harder. Uh, my grandfather used to say, if you don't have it in your head, you have to have it in your feet. And so I felt like I worked a little bit harder. I had a, a smart employee once who said, well, I told him about that quote. And he said, well, I suppose the opposite is also true, right? <laughs> so if you don't have it in your feet, you better be a little bit smarter. And so I think it's a combination of both. I think it's, it's looking around at best practices, seeing what are your peers doing that are hitting quota? And if you're not, how can you emulate or replicate some of the things that they're doing? And I was always impressed with the reps as a sales rep when my peers were doing something innovative. I would copy it, right? There's, that's good for the company. There's no law against, hey, I'm doing that. You can't do that. And so I think it's that thinking, how do I, how do, I do more with less? I'll give you an example. This is pre-Salesforce.com. We were using an old CRM called Siebel. Does anybody remember Siebel? <laughs> bought by Oracle? And uh, it was the de facto standard. I mean, we spent millions of dollars on this thing at, at Rational, and that's not to mention the implementation costs. And one of the reps was a techie kind of a guy who's a geek, and he wrote a Visual Basic script that could pull a subset of the database, segment them, and then he ran his own little marketing campaigns to the oh, base. Wow. And I thought that was so genius because I was doing these things manual. That was so far, he was so far ahead of his time, right? This guy by the name of Paul Sibley. I'm still friends with Paul today. And I said, Paul, I need that. Like everybody <laughs> needs this. And so when I was a manager, I would actually, I built a career on taking these best practices and deploying them out to, to hundreds of reps. That's process, right? That's the repeatable use case and giving people the tools and as long as you, you have people with the right personal characteristics in the first place, they're competitive, they want to make money, right? Sales reps are, they're typically coin operated, right? I mean, it's mouse and cheese. I mean, you give them a reward, they're going to do that thing over and over again. And so you have to make sure that you're hiring the right people in the first place. They're wired for speed, not comfort. 
And assuming you hire the right people in the first place and you set them up for success and you enable them, I think you win on both sides. You win top down because the company's happy with your sales leadership. And you're, you win bottoms up because the reps are saying, I like this sales leader because they help me make more money, right? It's not burdening people with extra process or jump through extra hoops. And, you know, I've worked for companies where there was more standing in the way of actually getting in front of customers. By the time you finished your forecasting and your, you know, if you looked at the amount of administrivia, it was more than 40 hours a week. So you had negative hours in front of customers and too much process is not a good thing, right? Because then people say, why am I going through all of this? You're standing in the way of me getting in front of customers. And so I think it's about wired for speed, not comfort. You know, what's what's next for you? What are your, what are your big projects right now? And, uh, you know, what are you working on next? At Polaris, as I mentioned earlier, we've been around for about 20 years. We manage uh, $4.5 billion. I really enjoy the work. I wrote a blog post recently how I said it can be frustrating because uh, the Olympics just ended. And But the job of the venture capitalist is like being a sweeper on the curling team. Mm-hmm. You don't throw the stone. All you can do is sweep the ice and hopefully keep it from slowing down a little bit longer and change direction slightly, but you don't get to touch the stone, right? Maybe you can be in on on helping to guide where it should go, but you're just a sweeper. And after years of operating, I'm comfortable in the passenger seat. I I, uh, don't mind the job of sweeper as long as I have good stone throwers, good skips, I think they call them, right? And so I, uh, first and foremost, invest in people. uh, And second, big business ideas, Right. So things that are disruptive, that are innovative, that have a, uh, a large market at scale and that are solving a headache today. Right. I think that there's a lot of aspirin uh, products out there, but there's also a lot of vitamins and we should take vitamins, but we don't. A lot of us don't all the time. But when you have a headache, nobody has to convince you to take an aspirin. So I look for an aspirin. I look for a big, big migraine headache and I look for a pain that a lot of people have. And then somebody's solving it in a, in a unique and differentiated way. And, um, you know, it's noisy out there in the world of sales. So the products have to be at least 5x better than anything else that exists and solving one of these migraine-like uh, headaches. And we invest strictly on the on the tech side in B2B SaaS products. Well, this, has been, this has been remarkable. Thank you so much for the time today. My pleasure to be here, and I look forward to coming back. Thanks, Thanks Joseph. Spotlight. If you enjoyed our show and want to hear more, check out www.kite.ai slash podcast or send us an email at info at kite.ai. Join us next week where we discuss scaling sales teams with Mark A. Smith, Vice President of Sales at Wompley. Um.